Today is a big 2-5, y'all. My second milestone, and I am so happy to share it with you. If you're new to the pod, this is The Joy of Horror, a horror topic podcast about anything creepy and or spooky from around the world. As said, this is my second milestone of the podcast, number 25. This is being recorded very slightly ahead of time, but I assure you I got myself a little cake to celebrate, and you can expect pictures today or sometime this weekend. I did want to quickly thank those who have listened to my silly little pod and have stuck with me. I love all of you, and you have no idea how much this pod and just knowing that someone out there is listening is truly, truly helping me. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Here's to another 25. But, but okay, okay. Before I get too emotional, let's go ahead and get into today's topic. We'll be covering one of the most haunted hotels in Texas. One I've stayed at and even had my own experience that I can't explain away. I've been saving this one for one of my milestones and I hope you enjoy. Today, we are covering the Driscoll Hotel. Before we jump in, though, I did want to say that when researching this hotel's history, I got a lot of conflicting information, mostly with the when, how, and who had the hotel at certain points. As such, I decided to follow what the hotel's site claims. Also, there's a few mentions of suicide and a child's death, which I will be giving a warning before both, so please don't worry. But okay, with that being said, let's dig on in. So, the Driscoll Hotel is located in the Texas capital of Austin and is located at the corner of Brazos Street and 6th Street. 6th Street being a very fun strip of bars that hosts live music and very cool themes. If you're ever in the area, I personally recommend San Jacques Saloon and Chug and Monkey. Also, be sure to check out the Museum of the Weird. It's located on the same street as well and totally worth it in my opinion. Going back to our hotel, though, the Driscoll began construction in 1884 by Colonel Jesse Driscoll. He was in the cattle business and moved from Missouri to Austin, Texas in 1869. By 1880, he was quite wealthy due to his trade, which mostly consisted of the selling of cattle to the Confederate Army during the Civil War. The colonel was all, I'm wealthy, I like my cattle, I love this town. What can make me feel even more fulfilled? I know, a hotel. So that's what he set out to do. It was said he wanted his hotel to rival those of larger, more established cities, such as Chicago and New York. He was even quoted saying that he wanted to build the finest hotel south of St. Louis. To begin this journey, he bought a bit of land at the corner of Brazos Street and Pecan, which is what 6th Street used to be known as. But to be honest, I really prefer pecan, and I kind of wish it didn't change. Either way, he got the land for about $7,500 U.S. dollars, which is just a hair over $201,000 today. By the time the hotel was done being constructed in 1886, Mr. Driscoll had spent what's estimated to be around $400,000 U.S. dollars, which is closing in on $10.8 million today. Which is what an inflation calendar told me. According to DriscollHotel.com, it equates to around 92 million. No matter which is correct, the hotel was the talk of the town. It had its grand opening on December 20th of 1886, with 60 rooms and 12 of those included their own attached baths. 
The owner was proud of the ballroom, guests, and the skylight that allowed air to be circulated, kind of like an early version of air conditioning. The skylight has since been filled in since the hotel has actual AC now, but it is a fun fact to know. Also, something I found interesting is that the Texas Capitol building was being built at the same time as the hotel, but it did take longer. So for a short time, Texas Senate meetings would be held at the hotel itself until the Capitol building was completed. But the high didn't last long, I'm afraid. With Austin at the time still being a small western town, it was uncommon for anyone to be able to afford to stay at his place. It didn't help that his staff was mostly hired over at the Beach Hotel down in Galveston. And between so much of his money going to the hotel, little profit being made at the hotel, and now the sudden loss of staff? Yeah, the Driscoll had to be shut down in May of 1887. He was able to reopen later that year in October, but there was a really bad winter that went up until the springtime, and even a drought throughout the nation. And between both, it ended up thinning his cattle stock, and by the beginning of 1888, he wasn't able to afford to keep the hotel open. Now, there's two stories I found on how Colonel Driscoll lost the hotel. All sources directly from the hotel itself. Their three sources was their website, a ghost tour video they uploaded to YouTube, and a ghost history paper they hand out at the front desk. One story is fairly simple. He sells his hotel to his brother-in-law, Mr. Jim Doc Day. And, well, that's it. The other is he actually lost the hotel in a poker game and ended up penniless. If he wasn't basically penniless beforehand... Colonel Jesse Driscoll passed away not long after from a stroke on May 3rd of 1890. Now, no matter how Mr. Driscoll's hotel ended up in his possession, his brother-in-law reopened the hotel in May of 1888. With the reopening, Mr. Day treated the hotel as the former owner wanted. He hosted balls and, quote, lavish events. But then the former owner of the hotel passed away and the hotel commissioned a portrait of the man. It's huge! And it sits at the top of the stairway in the lobby. It's an impressive thing, and it feels like it's actually watching over the place. Literally and figuratively. One fun story I stumbled across is that around the turn of the century, there was a shootout in the lobby, and two of the bullets ended up hitting the painting. The hotel had it restored, but if you look hard enough, you can still find where the two bullets hit it over a hundred years ago. And in case you go for yourself, I won't spoil where these are located. In 1893, the hotel traded hands again to an actor by the name of M.B. Curtis. And when I say traded, it was literally a trade. 14,000 U.S. dollars, or 409,000 today, was given, but the main item acquired was a ranch and vineyard over in California. Jumping ahead just one more year, the hotel traded hands again, though this time at an auction. What I thought was funny, though, is those who bought it for $76,000, or just a little over $2.3 million in today's money, sold it almost immediately to the mortgage holders for $75,000. A whole thousand less. We now reach lucky owner number five of this grand hotel. A man who vowed the hotel would never close again. Major George R. Littlefield. (laughs) The Major was a banker slash cattle baron slash president of the Texas Rangers when he purchased the hotel for $106,000, US dollars, or just a little over $3.3 million. 
he put a bank into the hotel, which is no longer, but the vault is still there. Now, along with this spiffy new addition, according to the Driscoll website, Mr. Littlefield also did a major renovation that included, quote, electric lights, steam heating, 28 lavatories with bathtubs, and electric fans in every room, unquote. Now, this game of real estate hot potato hasn't ended, folks. In 1903, Major Littlefield sold the hotel to a banking competitor, Edward Sealing, for 25 grand less than what he bought it for. In 1908, the hotel not only hosted the Daughters of the Texas Republic to determine what to do with the Alamo over in San Antonio, but they also held the first what they called, quote, election watch party, unquote. During this event, a crowd was shown the numbers for the election on a large backdrop using what's known as a stereo opticon, which if you have no clue what that is, I didn't either and had to look it up. It was apparently an early projector that instead of reels being shown through it, it would actually show picture slides which is fascinating to me. Moving on to 1909, the hotel proudly opens its own woman's spa and even a barbershop. They also tended to host psychic healers, medicine man, and there was even advertisement about their, quote, healing waters that were pooled into electric baths. In 1919, Governor William P. Hobby had his inaugural ball at the hotel, which had become quite the tradition for governors in Texas starting back in 1887. In 1930, 60 rooms in the original building were given their own private baths along with a new addition to the hotel being finished, which I had to look elsewhere, but this addition apparently hosted 180 rooms. Along with this huge addition, the former men's parlor and smoking room was converted into what's become known as the Maximilian Room. This room is very lovely with eight large gold leaf mirrors the hotel found at a San Antonio antique shop of all places. Why me and so many were surprised is because these were specifically commissioned in Austria by Emperor Maximilian of Mexico for who he called the, quote, most beautiful woman in Europe, unquote. His wife, Empress Carlotta. Each mirror hosts the woman's face, and I do admit they are a hair creepy due to this, but are still very, very beautiful. His wife never ended up seeing these mirrors completed, though, because Emperor Maximilian was overthrown and the mirrors somehow ended up in New Orleans, Louisiana, where an employee of the hotel noticed them and brought them back to the hotel. Which actually kind of conflicts with the whole San Antonio antique shop bit. One story is from the website and the other is from the ghost tour guide video that the hotel itself uploaded. Moving on, Louis Armstrong had a three-day performance at the hotel starting on October 12th of 1931. And it is said that this performance is what inspired Charles Black's interest in race and civil rights. Jumping forward only a few years, Lady Bird herself met her future husband, Lyndon B. Johnson, and they had their very first date at the Driscoll Hotel in September of 1934. And keeping to the same happy couple, in 1948, they're at the hotel when the results from the U.S. Senate race is over, and Mr. Johnson has won. Going ahead just a hair to 1950, this is when the skylight I mentioned much earlier is removed with the addition of AC, and a new dining room is added to the hotel. The location of this dining room makes them close the original entrance facing 6th Street. Going back to LBJ, he's back at the Driscoll when he gets the results that he's been elected President of the U.S., which was a role he was already filling in for as Vice President after the assassination of John F. Kennedy in November of 1963. 
A room was set up on the fifth floor of the hotel that was forever reserved for the president since he frequented the hotel so, so much. It was known as the Governor's Suite, and the president used this suite at the Driscoll as a type of headquarters for White House press corporations. Something fun to know is that the Johnsons were such a huge part of the hotel that a drink was actually named Ladybird after Claudia herself, and you can still order this drink at the bar today. It's mint with St. Germain elderflower and a bit of tequila 512 or 512. Me, myself, I want to personally try the drinks called Blue Bonnet and Texas Orange Blossom. I'm sure both are a pretty penny, but sounds delicious. Okay, getting close to the end of the history section, I promise. So, in 1969, the Driscoll's hotel rooms were closed for a time to complete a revamp, which was supposed to include a 19-story tower. But the plans for the tower fell through and demolition was set to start taking place. Luckily, the hotel was made a National Historic Landmark in November of that year and was saved from being fully destroyed. Shortly after, in 1970, there was a fundraiser of sorts called Save the Driscoll Community Effort, where $700,000 were raised from $10 stocks and almost $2 million was raised in the form of loans and contributions from various corporations. The redevelopment of the hotel could officially commence. The Driscoll celebrates the reopening with a few grand galas in February of 1973 that pull in, according to the website, more than 1,200 guests. A little bit of everyone showed up to these, most notably Texas governors from recent elections, along with the descendants of those who are no longer with them. By October of the same year, Braniff Hotels purchased the hotel and did a complete refurbishment of the lobby, which ended up costing roughly $350,000 U.S. dollars and even opened their own little nightclub known as Scandals, which is currently known as the Victorian Room. During the same year, the 1886 Lunchroom opened under the Austin Historical Society. In 1980, the hotel sold yet again, but this time to Lara Hotels, who decided to do another renovation, but this time topping out at $2.5 million. Like, frick, I wish I had 1% of the money put into this hotel over time. For real. And, can you guess it? The hotel sold again. This time to Lincoln Hotel Corp. in 1983, who decided to continue this Moneybags conga line and spend $5 million in renovations of their own. In 1986, Austin Realty Inc. did take over management. In 1990, a hotel management firm took over minority ship and, once again, did some renovations that were roughly $400,000, which I'm happy for. I love seeing old buildings getting restored, but dang, is this building getting a lot of buck for that bang. Is that, (laughs) is that what the kids are saying these days? I don't, I don't even know. Does that make sense? Either way, moving on, we finally reach 1995, where Great American Life Insurance bought the hotel. They ended up closing a majority of the hotel for four years to fully restore it, having it reopen on December 31st of 1999, where they raised money for local Austin charities during what they called the, quote, Millennium Celebration, unquote. In 2002, the hotel opened the 1886 Cafe and Bakery, and in 2003, the Driscoll Grill opened up for some good eats. In 2007, Low Enterprises bought the hotel and had it managed by Destination Hotels and Resorts before Hyatt Hotels took over that management position and planned to invest $8 million in upgrading the hotel. 
And that's it. That's the history of the hotel itself. I did trim a bit, but I got so sucked into the history and the sheer number of times this hotel has passed hands. So I'm very, very sorry if you got bored. But it's now time for some ghosties. Cross my heart. We're gonna start with the cattle daddy himself. Which, <laughs> which that felt really weird to say, but future me, just just keep that in. Don't Don't worry about it. But okay, yes, Colonel Jesse Driscoll is said to haunt his beloved hotel, with most of his encounters being in the lobby. While he was alive, it's said that he loved his cigars. And apparently that carried into his death, because the main signal that he's nearby is the phantom smell of cigar smoke. Other signs the previous owner might be nearby is flickering lights. But he is known to check in on his guests, along with messing with their allergies and maybe the electric bill such as one tale from Monica Bollard, author of True Haunted Tales of the Driscoll Hotel. She wrote, quote, One of my favorite stories is one of the few sightings we've had of Colonel Driscoll. One of his favorite rooms in the Driscoll overlooks 6th Street and Brazos, and there was a consultant in town who woke up one night to see a gentleman standing in his room looking out the window about 3 o'clock in the morning, puffing away on a cigar. He sat up in bed and said, Hey fella, what the hell are you doing in my room? He said the guy looked at him and gave him a look like, your room, but he didn't say anything. The consultant leaned over and snapped on the light by the bed, and when the light came on, there was no one standing by the window, but the curtains were still swaying and there was a cloud of cigar smoke in the air, unquote. Second on our ghosty list is the lovely lady by the name of Mrs. Bridges. She was said to work at the front desk in the early 1900s at the hotel and now haunts the lobby. Some speculate why she would haunt there if she didn't pass away in the building, but it's said that she loved the place so much it's only natural that she returned in death. Her main sightings have her walking from the old vault, still in the hotel, all the way to the middle of the lobby, completely dressed in her signature Victorian-style dress, before disappearing. Another sign of her is the sudden smell of roses. Like a rose perfume! This is said to be due to her obsession with how flowers were to be arranged, and she tended to smell of flowers due to her hands-on help with them. It's also believed by some that she wore a rose-scented perfume as well. Our next ghost does mention the death of a child, so if you want to skip this section, maybe jump ahead 30 seconds to a minute. I'm recording right now, so that is a very, very rough guess, just so you know. So, this ghost is said to be the daughter of U.S. Senator Temple Lee Houston. Her name is Samantha, and she was only four years old at the time of the occurrence. The child was playing around with a bouncing ball when the ball went down the stairs, and she, chasing after it, accidentally fell down the stairs to her death. This took place in 1887. It's said that her spirit was spotted as early as one week after her passing, playing with her ball once more. Her main encounters are hearing her giggle and the faint sounds of a ball bouncing off the walls, mostly on the second floor, the floor above the lobby but it's said that she can sometimes be heard in other parts of the hotel as well. You may also feel a sudden chill as you go down the main staircase in the lobby, and it's said that that's her reliving her death from all those years ago. It's also claimed that the father had a portrait commissioned of her by the artist Richard King, and it sits on the fifth floor of the hotel. The painting is based on another called Love Letter by Charles Garland which a year or so after my own visit to the hotel, I found a print of this painting at a thrift store and obviously had to snag it up. Now, I mention this painting because it's said to be haunted by the little girl, and if you cross the painting's path, you might feel an evil presence following you until you're off the floor, or maybe even out of the building as a whole. 
There's also claims of feeling a little bit dizzy or even faint if you stare directly at the painting. Some believe this little girl is just trying to communicate while others feel it's something a little bit more sinister haunting this painting. So, last mention of the little girl is that some staff believe she haunts the lady's bathroom located near the bar. <laughs> there have been some claims of the doors being locked from the inside with no one inside, which is almost impossible since the stalls have floor-to-ceiling doors. Also, there seems to be knocks on the door when no one else is in the bathroom and childish giggling. Next, we briefly discuss a lady usually known as the First Bride that is said to haunt the fourth floor of the hotel after she completed suicide. Skip ahead maybe 20 seconds to avoid? Now, I couldn't find a rough date, though my best guess is sometime in the late 1960s. I also couldn't find a supposed name for the lady either, but it's claimed that she was a jilted bride who completed suicide on the fourth floor by way of hanging. She could be heard weeping by staff and guests, faintly heard whispering near your ear, which hell no, and she's even spotted in the corner of people's eyes only to have them turn and no one be there. In appearance, it's usually claimed that she's still wearing her wedding dress, the dress she supposedly passed away in. She's not always shy though, you know, besides the whispering bits, because it's said that she enjoys attending or making her presence known during weddings or even during a bachelorette party. Some say it's even good luck to see her on the big day, which I would love to know why. Please tell me. Our second ghost bride is said to have taken her life 20 years after the first in 1989. Another suicide mention. Maybe skip ahead one to two minutes to avoid this time, though. Now, this bride is known as the Houston Bride, and as you probably guessed, she was visiting from Houston. The story goes that the bride's fiancé broke off the wedding and told her that he wanted nothing to do with her anymore. In retaliation, she took his car and credit cards and traveled up to Austin, Texas to check in for a five-night stay at the Driscoll. She checked into room 427, though sometimes this room is claimed to be 329 or 525. So I did go ahead with what the hotel's ghost tour claimed. Her first day in Austin, she went on a shopping spree, spending as much money as she could before returning to the hotel around 1 in the morning. The estimated bill was around 10000 US dollars. She went to the bar for a drink before lugging all her shiny new bags full of stuff up to her room. She was seen getting off the elevator, but this will sadly be the last time she was seen alive. After getting into her room, she put the Do Not Disturb sign up, closed the door, and pulled out the pistol she bought during her shopping trip from one of the bags. The former bride-to-be picked up a pillow from the bed and went to the tub where she placed the pillow to her front and shot herself in the stomach. Due to the thick walls at the hotel, the Do Not Disturb sign, and of course the pillow probably muffling the shot a little bit, no one discovered her body for three days. And during those three days, the bathtub pooled with blood and she was long gone from this world. The most famous experience of this ghost took place 10 years after the suicide in 1999. Two friends drove in for an art festival and decided to split the cost of the Driscoll while they were there. While they wanted a room in the historical side of the hotel, it was under construction, so no rooms were currently available. While disappointed, they did take a room on the other side of the hotel. Later that night, around 1 a.m., the two friends had come back to the hotel and weren't quite ready to go to bed so they decided to explore the part of the hotel being worked on. While going down the hall on the fourth floor, the two women noticed a woman loaded down with bags who ended up at the end of the hall. She was standing in front of room 427. The woman wasn't making a move to go in yet, just kind of staring at it as if in debate. 
After a short time, one friend asked if she minded staying in the section of the hotel while it was under construction, to which the woman turned her head and looked directly at them and responded, quote, No, I don't mind it at all, unquote. Right afterwards, the friends got a really bad feeling, apologized, and quickly got away. The next morning, both of them confronted the concierge and wanted to know why someone was allowed to check into that part of the hotel, but not them. The poor man explained that no one was up there, but with how adamant these two guests were, he took them up to the floor himself, opened the door, and revealed that the room was still under construction. There was no furniture, and even the new flippin' toilet hadn't been installed yet. They, nor the hotel, ever forgot this experience. It's claimed that this is the room that both brides had ended their lives in, and sometimes there's plumbing problems in only that room, or even sightings of a woman in a wedding dress. Our next ghostie I'm excited to talk about is a gentleman known as Peter J. Lawless. This man lived at the Driscoll for 30 years, starting in 1886 all the way up until 1916, which I know if you were paying attention, you probably are questioning this since the hotel closed a few times during those years. Well, it's said that he stayed whether there was staff or not, and he was given his own room key and just kind of took care of himself during those times. Mr. Lawless worked the railroads while he was alive, and his main encounters are said to happen in or near the elevators of the lobby. His spirit is either seen in the elevator itself, or Peter is getting off the elevator while checking his watch. He tends to give a polite nod to anyone who seems to witness him before vanishing from sight, which, what a gentleman. We're now going to discuss a few locations, the first being the elevators themselves. It's said that sometimes, without pressing a button, the elevator will close and take you to your correct floor. Which, while creepy, I appreciate. I was kind of offended this didn't happen to me and my sister, though. <laughs> Going to the Maximilian room, the room mentioned earlier with the eight large, lovely gold mirrors, it's said that in there, there have been reports of someone slowly putting their hand on your shoulder, but when you turn around, of course, no one is there. The more disturbing occurrences said to sometimes happen is that if you stand in front of a mirror at just the right angle, you can see the mirror reflecting in the mirror across from it until you have an infinite number of rooms being reflected in the mirror before you. There have been those who claim to see a figure standing next to them in a couple of these rooms, or even more creepy, just one of them. You know, kind of just gazing at you. Now, the spirit is generally claimed to be a woman in white. Maybe one of the brides? And last, just some overall stuff that isn't stuck to one room, area, or spirit. It's said there's many other unnamed spirits that grace the hotel. Many playing with lights, moving objects around, or even showing up in dated clothing like nothing is amiss. Some of these spirits are dressed very elaborate, as if they're going to a fancy dinner or even a party. There's even those who claim to have heard muffled, loud party music while in the lobby or on certain elevators, only to inquire about the noise and being informed that there's no party taking place at the hotel that evening. Also, there's been claims of the rocking chairs, usually on the balcony, rocking with nobody in them and no wind to make them move. And one of the worst things I came across is there have been reports of someone brushing guests' hair as they slept. But when this awakens them, they spin around, and of course, no one is there. Which, no, thank you. Now, before we get into my own personal, maybe paranormal experience, I wanted to speak about one experience I came across in my research that I found very interesting. The paranormal experience of the singer Anne Lennox. 
The story goes that she couldn't decide on which dress to wear to a performance one night, so she laid out both on the bed and decided to think about it while she was in the shower and would pick one when she dried off. No need, apparently, because when she went back to the bedroom area of her suite, one of the dresses were already put away. She believed a spirit helped her make the decision since she didn't hear anyone come or leave the room while she was in the bathroom. This experience actually inspired Jeanette Napolitano from the band Concrete Blondes to write the song Ghost of a Texas Ladies Man, which, while not 100% my cup of tea, is an interesting song and I recommend you look it up for yourself after this episode. Okay, I'm excited. It's now time for me and my sister's personal, maybe paranormal experiences. We stayed at the Driscoll on the night of November 30th and checked out on December 1st of 2019. The lobby was decked out in Christmas decoration and was a lot of fun to see. I highly recommend checking it out during the holidays. The first maybe experience is when we came into the lobby and instantly smelled the scent of flowers. Kind of heavy, but not overwhelmingly so. As mentioned prior, this is a sign that Mrs. Bridges is nearby, but there were very small collections of flowers on some of the tables on the left side of the lobby that could have easily caused the scent. I don't feel like there's enough of them, though, to cause that strong of a scent, but I'm no flower expert. Next thing happened around 10 p.m. after getting food and heading to one of the balconies on the second floor. My sister believes she heard a ball bouncing down the staircase the little girl is said to have fallen to her death on. We were the only people on that level besides a gentleman looking at his phone, but he was in the far back, a good distance from the stairs in question. Though there were at least a few people in the lobby, so there's always that chance the potential noise was somehow from there and it echoed up. The last experience is fully my own, and it is the one I cannot explain away. As I was trying to fall asleep, a few times it felt like someone was pressing down at the end of the bed near my feet. My skeptical believer self just explained that away with the comforter settling. Classic. But it was odd that it did this a time or two without me moving at all. The other thing that happened as I fell asleep was that it felt like something was bouncing or more accurately like someone was pressing up and down on the bed right behind my back. It was like up, down, up, down, up, kind of kind of like someone was pressing in a rhythm. The feeling was strong enough to have me flip over quickly after several times of this happening to see if anyone was there. There, of course, was not. Also, something to put out there, there was no noise being made, which is odd since when I told slash showed my sister in the morning, the comforter made very obvious noise. So unless only the mattress itself was being pressed down by an invisible force, I'm not sure what was going on. I, major quotation marks here, explained it away with possible back spasms. But even I admit that makes no sense since I know what those actually feel like and there's a stark difference between spasms and feeling someone pressed down on the other side of the bed. I was told it might be the air conditioning, but it wasn't pointed at my bed or had any way to bounce back and hit it. I was also suggested that I was half asleep and possibly having a dream and woke up when I turned over, which is a smart guess, but unfortunately, no dice. Almost every night, I have a hard time falling asleep, and then I have trouble waking up several times during the night. This night was no different. Both occurrences happened not too long after I lay down, while I was still attempting to initially fall asleep. I would roughly guess around 20 minutes in. But you want to know the main thing I can't explain away, and I'm kind of like, what the frick? 
After this happened, I turned back over and attempted sleep. Not even flipping phased. Which, again, you never truly know how you're going to react until you experience whatever that thing is. But I was expecting to flip if something like this ever happened to me. Maybe I have to see an actual apparition to freak. You know, let's just escalate the situations until we find out. Now, you may be wondering, with my personal, maybe paranormal experience and the hotel's history, would I recommend it? For the most part, yeah, actually I would. It's a beautiful hotel, filled with so much history, and the hallways are literally lined with art and historical items. You can get lost for easily a few hours just looking at all the art on each floor. There's huge columns, marbled floors, and even stained glass. It's so lovely, and I was happy to finally, legally, walk its halls and take it all in. My only true negative is that it's so flippin' expensive a majority of the year. I get it, it's in a prime location and the oldest hotel in Austin. But I'm a simple, semi-poor gal, and unless I'm able to split the bill with three or four people instead of just two, I don't really plan on staying again. But only for that reason. The staff was very lovely as well, and even understanding when someone accidentally, or maybe even purposefully, tagged a bar bill onto my room and understood I'm not too bright when it comes to mini bars, and I didn't realize if you lift something from it, you get charged, even if you put it back. I know better for next time. Now, I do wish I could give you an opinion on the bar or restaurant, but due to the money put into staying at the hotel, me and my sister just grabbed a slice of pizza on 6th Street for food and got some drinks from the convenience store nearby. But another thing I love about this hotel is that it fully leans into the paranormal side of their business and even has a list you can ask for at the front desk that talks about the main spirits that are said to haunt the hotel. I still have it to this day and partially used it to help with notes. I know I'm saying this a lot, but I also loved that there were several places that me and my sister called secret doors. Doors that were just kind of fused into the wall. Which I'm sure there were staff doors, but still really cool to stumble across a few. You can also still go to the front of LBJ's private suite, and it still has his initials above the door. So if you're really into U.S. history, this might be a really cool place to check out while you're in Austin. So, if you can afford to stay here, go. Enjoy the art. Relax on one of the random couches in the hallways. Have a drink on one of their balconies. And maybe even have a ghostly experience of your own. Alright, it is pop culture section time. There's not much to tell, but in books, there's the one I mentioned earlier called True Haunted Tales of the Jisco Hotel by Monica L. Bollard. But that is the only one I could find on the hotel itself. I'm sure it is mentioned in books on haunted hotels, historical locations in Texas, and things of that nature, though. In games, I didn't really find anything outside of an apparent murder mystery party hosted by Circus Picnic, which looked like a lot of fun. In television, the hotel made an appearance in the show The Sun, and in movies, the hotel seems to be used as a shooting location for scenes in movies like The Alamo and Miss Congeniality. But that is unfortunately where our list ends. And with that, we now go into the movie recommendation of the week. It's one of the more recent recommendations I'm doing, and I was actually kind of surprised by it. Today's movie is Cadaver from 2020. This movie is about a family who's invited to a grand hotel for a party and a night of free food and fun after the world has basically fallen to shambles due to a nuclear disaster. 
Of course, the hosts have more sinister motives than it appears, and it becomes a fight for their life for our poor family. I know some might argue that this is more of a thriller and not really a horror movie, but I'm going to tell you right now, I do count some thrillers, though mostly psychological ones, as horror. If there's death, bloodshed, or a good combo of the two, then for me it counts for me as a recommendation. I really do hope that's okay. And of course, if you give this one a shot, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, that's it for this week, my wee pumpkin seeds. I'll be sure to post some pictures I took at the Driscoll during my stay on Instagram and maybe even Facebook. Now, these pictures will be posted the day of or the day after the episode comes out. And for more random stuff like that, or even just to be reminded of episode releases, be sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook at TJOHpodcast. And if you would be so kind and have a moment, please leave me a rating and a review on iTunes, Podchaser, and even my Facebook page. I really appreciate it, and it makes me very, very happy. But speaking of Podchaser, just real quick, for the whole month of April, if you leave a review for any podcast you love, whether it be mine or someone else's, they will donate 25 cents to Meals on Wheels. And of course, if the podcaster responds to that review, they will donate another 25 cents to Meals on Wheels. So if you have a moment, go to Podchaser, leave some reviews for all your favorite podcasts. It's all for a good cause, only takes a few moments, and the account is completely free, I promise. But okay, with that out of the way, just please, please, please be sure to be looking out for yourself. Drink some water, attempt to get some sleep when you're able, and never let others treat you cruelly. You deserve so much more than you believe. You just have to fight for it. With all my love, I hope you have a spooky night.